welcome back to Word Up with Danny Katz. I am your host, Danny Katz. I am an author, journalist, and a quantum languaging coach and consultant. What that means is that I teach people how language programs consciousness, how language programs reality at large, and how to transform reality and evolve our consciousness with language. I've also been known to cultivate and share an opinion or two or 12 about culture and consciousness and how they are evolving, devolving, and being manipulated by the powers that were. Here at Word Up, we are devoted to fostering critical thinking while supporting you in becoming your most authentic, empowered, liberated, realized, amazing version of yourself. Our every show aims to expand your consciousness, raise your frequency, sharpen your critical thinking skills, and make you giggle. (laughs) And think. Given the radical uptick in censorship over the past few years, combined with the complete co-opting slash decimation of my own personal industry, journalism, I started Word Up to have a free speech-friendly platform in which to engage exploratory, solutions-based conversations with visionaries, mystics, original thinkers, and rebel badasses who are helping to make the world more wonderful. The first half of my interviews run between 30 to 90 minutes and are always posted here for free public listening. The second halves are reserved for paid supporters on my Patreon and my Locals platforms, where for as little as $5 a month, you can access all of my second half conversations along with oodles of other bonus content and opportunities to drop in with me, to drop in with our High Vibe tribe, and lots of other awesome things. In addition to interviews, Word Up also features quantum languaging upgrades, planetary service announcements, and propaganda analysis, which I call Spot the Propaganda. Thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing your sacred attention with me and our high vibe tribe of change makers. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you can stay abreast of our every episode. Thank you for also clicking the like button, for sharing far and wide, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As well, if you are gleaning any value whatsoever from these shows, consider supporting me on Locals and or Patreon. And as you are wanting to learn more about my quantum languaging coaching and consulting services or nab copies of my books, find me on dannycats.com as well as on quantumlanguaging.com. Okay, I think that's it for our housekeeping. Buckle up and prepare to enjoy this episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Hey, superstars, welcome back to another episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Today, I am joined by astrophysicist Joseph Postmus, who's written five books um, unpacking the climate fraud and making a lot of comparisons to climate science and flat earth science. This was such a juicy, chock full conversation that of course the AI didn't want us to be having. So heads up, we did have um, some tech interference and glitches. We were both super tenacious. Joe got thrown off our call at one point, but he did come back on. So I'm going to encourage you to be patient. Thank you for your patience. Um, when it does get glitchy, it works itself out pretty quickly. I think that's it. I This was just such an exciting conversation that I was <laughs> really excited for. I was doing my best because I only had Joseph for, um, it was supposed to be an hour. He did go over for me. Um, so I was doing my best to keep my... Um, questions at least uh on topic and uh i think you're gonna enjoy this one so buckle up and prepare to enjoy my conversation with joseph postmus so i was like holding my tongue on our email exchange, because you said some things that I'm like, okay, I want to unpack these so badly, but I'm just going <laughs> to save them. Okay. 
our podcast, but like basic overview, um, yeah. you're an astrophysicist. That's right. Yeah. You started digging into climate science to prove the quote unquote climate change deniers stupidest uh, name ever um, wrong. And then you had your own kind of aha moment. So I'd love to yeah. know about that moment and like what that was like for you psycho emotionally to have your worldview change so drastically like that. Absolutely. Okay, I'll do that. Um, I have a really big screen in front of me, so my eyes kind of like go all over the place. I'll try to look at you in the camera as much as possible, but I also want to look at you on the screen, which is like way over there, you know? So, cool. no okay. Pressure. This is a, a, a substance over style podcast. Yeah, perfect. So yeah. As pretty as we both are, I think people are listening to us because of our big fat brains. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So as far as that goes, yeah, that's right. I'm an astrophysicist, uh, astrophysicist. And uh, yeah, I wanted to look into the whole issue because I thought, you know, these people are stupid. They're just like, you know, biblical creationists or something, right? Just stupid people that you can just make fun of and, you know, they have no argument or anything, right? And so uh, actually what got me interested in it was I read the book, um, what was that book, by Michael Crichton, State of Fear. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, and he's a fairly intelligent guy, or he was, right? And so there was a bit of scientific content in there. And I thought, well, okay, I'll just, you know, look into this. So pretty quickly right away uh starting to look into it and looking what the arguments were it was just pretty clear to me like it was kind of it, it, like it was a a sudden but also a slow onset it started ju with just a few simple concepts uh for example or a few comments there was uh, gavin schmidt he's this big climate alarmist at some i think he was at goddard uh space flight institute or something at at one point or one of those places anyway um, and he was just saying some stupid things that didn't make, make sense. Uh, it, it's just physics related, talking about how heat works. And it, it just wasn't consistent with what I knew about how uh, physics works, right? And so I just looked more and more into it. And it's just, it's, I, I, I don't know, it's a completely, uh, it's a completely specious, the entire field is a, is a specious field of science. It's made up. It's basically made up. It's professionally instituted pseudoscience is what it is. And it uses all the language of science. So it looks, it sounds totally leg legitimate, right? And it sounds like it's valid science, but it's just basically all made up. And they're just using fancy words to sound like they're doing something. So this is like the concept. We really have to apply philosophy now, right? We're really in the state where we have to apply philosophy and we have to know who and what we're talking about. So you have this, um, fellow named Thomas Kuhn, who uh, a few decades ago wrote this book about um, revolutions in physics, how revolutions in physics happen. And he defined this term paradigm, right? And how a paradigm can exist in physics. And this is, this is how we think of a problem. And this is the only context in which we approach the problem, right? Um, so that would be, for example, Newtonian physics, right? Classical physics. But then um, if there's a problem that you need to solve, a new problem, like you get better measurements, better data, and you see that your existing theory um, isn't really explaining it, well, how do you change within the context of that paradigm? How do you explain it? You can't, right? You need a completely new paradigm. Anyway, so this whole idea of the paradigm is you get fixed into groupthink, right? You get fixed into this is the way we approach the climate, this is the way we understand it, and that's the way we're going to do our science, right? And so um, the really big thing was then to do due diligence, right? Because there's this big debate happening. So for example, you know, when you have the creationism debate with, uh, you know, biblical people who want to take that literally, right? I mean, you can use and apply science to that and it's pretty clear, right? Um, so on, on, uh, on this debate, you know, it's hard to go to first principles. We can't actually go back in the Bible to where it occurred and verify if any of these things are true, right? Okay, but now this is science, right? So science, we can do due diligence, right? Because we have the laws of physics, we have experiments, we have things that we can do, right? And so if you look in, if you just get, if you just steep yourself into this debate, you quickly see that there's all sorts of debate on minutia, just a bunch, a bunch of almost irrelevant bullshit, right? Like people Row. Hmm. Hmm. Joseph, I'm not sure if you can hear me. I've got a pretty serious freeze happening. Hmm. 
Note this happens anytime I'm talking about anything about climatology, the shape of the planet. It's pretty consistent that Zoom glitches when I'm having these conversations. So I'm praying our friend Joe comes back. Okay. And we'll wait. We will wait for Joe because we're tenacious and we're devoted. And um, there's a lot to pick his brain about. So let's pause while we wait for him to sign back on. Oh, I think you're muted again. Yeah. I had a blue screen of death, a total shutdown of my computer, just like blue screen. And it was like, need to restart. <laughs> Weird. Whoa. Zoom usually messes with, with me when I'm talking about the shape of the planet oh, yeah. and climate. Is but that right? Going after your whole computer is a whole new level. I know. That's crazy. I've like, how often does that happen to Windows anymore? The blue screen of death. That's like rare. That's like, I don't even know how to make that happen anymore. You know what I mean? Clearly, blue we're screen on of death. <laughs> yeah, right. So I was talking about due diligence, right? So I'm a scientist, I see a big debate happening, and I see a bunch of stupid minutiae being discussed, you know, some people saying, oh, the warming is going to be one degree, and then other people are like, you're so wrong, it's going to be 1.5 degrees, and just like stupid debates like that, that's just like, it's so pointless, like, so you want to go, so that's a big deal, right? Everyone's saying, oh, man, we got to restructure society, there's got to be government thing, this is the biggest thing science has ever done for the world, for politics, for everyone, right? We'll just do a little bit of due diligence, right? So you go down to the core of the theory where it all starts from, right? So where does it all start from? Where does climate science start from, right? And I have quotes from, for example, Roy Spencer, and he's actually, he's a professional climate scientist, but he's actually more recognized to be on the skeptic side. Um, and he will tell you that, you know, what I'm going to show you soon here uh, is, is the starting point for all of climate science. It is truly the starting basis for all of the climate science. And so I'm going to show it to you. And yeah, it does relate to what you just mentioned about the shape of the earth thing. So I'm going to show it to you. Can I share my screen? Yes. Hang on a sec. Let me give you screen. Okay. So when did climate science start? Like when did this insert itself? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question because it is actually a relatively new field. Like generally climate science would have been part of geology. And you'll note that most geologists, geologists are some of my favorite scientists. They're so smart. They have to know so many different things. They have to know a bit about astronomy, physics, sometimes quantum mechanics. They're real great. They're really generalists because it's hard to figure out what the hell this rock laying here means. You know, you got to tie in a lot of different science to figure out what this rock lying on the ground means, you know, figure out that it's been there for a billion years, figure out what it's made of, what weather process. So uh, climate science generally used to be part of geology. And, the, and you'll find that most geologists are, in fact, skeptical. They don't go along with the climate alarm narrative. Like, they'll point out, wow, like, there's been way crazier climate change in the past. What's happening right now is it's pretty calm and stable right now, actually. And it's generally much worse than now. And the likelihood is, you know, not, not that it'll get worse from climate change. I mean, it'll go back to a cold period. It, like, we're actually in a warm period right now. In the last 10,000 years, it's been warm, about the same temperature as we have today. It's just little variations. But if you go back before 10,000 years, I don't know if you know about this, then you're in ice age, right? Ice age cycles. And, and you know, it's been speculated that we could return to an ice age cycle at any time. So anyway, um, climate science as a field itself is relatively new. It's probably only a couple of decades old, maybe three decades at the most, um, probably only two. And they have their own way of doing things and they have their own peer review system. It's, it's like it's this um, system that's just been sort of shunted in to our, you know, social sort of framework, mental, um, noetic sort of sphere of activity, right? It's this new field that's been inserted and it's taking advantage of specialization because it's its own field and now they're going to have their own peer reviewers and they don't accept outside criticism because those people are crazy. You don't know what we know. We're on the inside of climate science, right? So it just becomes like that, right? And it's uh, it's really a scheme that's been created like that to take over politics. And I conclude in my book to do some really nasty things because if you look at what their plans are, well, they're vilifying carbon dioxide, right? That's, that's a basis of photosynthesis. That's a basis of life. They're talking about they want to build solar umbrellas out in space between the earth and the sun use ai and robotic 
systems that can replicate and build an umbrella between the earth and the sun to block the sun so that the earth doesn't overheat from our activity. And it's like, okay, but you're going to block the sun, but they're not, you know, so they're what they're going to block the sun. They're going to remove carbon dioxide. So it actually seems like they're coming up with a scheme to simply end life on earth. I mean, that's what it seems like, but we're getting way ahead of the storyline now. Yep. I Gotta go back to the, right. Um, I know I'm, I'm like, I have so many questions. You do have screen yeah. share. Uh, do these cl like climate crisis scientists believe their own bullshit? Are they smart enough to even understand science at all? Um, you know, they're really good. Yeah, I, you know, I spent a lot of time with that with that problem. I spent a decade working on that problem because because I asked myself repeatedly, and you'll see once I show you a few slides here. Um, are these people just stupid, or are they malicious? And what is it? And it's like, they can't be that stupid because they're using the language of science in a pretty sophisticated way. And they can come up with some really sophisticated arguments that while it's sophistry, it's really hard to pick apart and, and identify what's wrong with it. So there's a great degree of intelligence. So in my book, Planet Wars, which is my third book, I fully get into that breakdown of analyzing what these people are psychologically and so are you familiar with the idea of Jung's collective subconsciousness? Yes. Right. So, and what about the, and, and then likewise, the universal subconsciousness, right? Yes. Yeah. So you have basically have a, a structure. We have our conscious mind, which is really a thin veneer, you know, and it's, it's actually pretending a lot of the time, right? It's our unconscious mind that's actually doing a lot of stuff. And our conscious mind, you know, pretends it's, it's, it's the one in charge, right? Maybe you've seen, you know, discussions like that, right? So our conscious mind is doing a lot. Um, one layer below our, our subconscious mind, that is one layer below our conscious mind uh, is our subconscious mind. And one layer below that then is the collective subconscious of what we assume is humanity, right? And then you can go deeper layers, levels in that, and then you get a universal subconscious where you're connected to the whole of entirety. And people have experienced, uh, you know, near-death experiences. People have reported getting in that mode and they can literally feel and sense the whole universe, stars, galaxies, other places, you know? People who connect at the who have near-death experiences and don't go that deep, but stay at the collective subconscious level of of the Earth consciousness subconscious level, they feel all of Earth all at once, and they can feel, you know, the cat eating the mouse and being the mouse in the cat's jaws at the same time, right? And they report being the river, and they can just sense it all. It's all at once, right? So, so you know, that kind of gives um, some credence to what you know Carl Jung developed with his his ideas of of the collective sub subconscious levels. Okay, so here's the question: If humanity has a collective subconscious, can there be other collective subconsciouses that aren't human? Of course. Right now, <clears throat> given that, could there be other ones from other places in our galaxy or in this construct that we call the universe? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, it goes one to one. Right. Obviously. So the thing is, how does that thing travel? Like, like the collective subconscious where everything is connected and people have experienced that state and they say you're everywhere at once, you can be anywhere you want. Does this thing have to travel to other planets and spaceships? I'm it doesn't not. have, no, it doesn't have to do that, right? right? Because it's at that subconscious level, right? It can go anywhere it wants, right? right. So what I've determined is that we have and there's an other collective subconscious with us here that we have not known about until now. We have assumed up, up to this point that we just belong. I mean, not many people are talking about Young's collective subconscious and what it means in the first place, right? Okay, right. so I, you know, I had to spend a lot of, you know, quite a few years, you know, with that idea, sorting it out. So anyway, most people would assume if you know if you're exposed to that idea, idea, then okay, well, we're the humanity collective subconsciousness, right? And you just assume that's the state of reality. But if the true state of reality is that we're just one or what we would call humans or assume is, is all humans is just one collective subconscious. Well, there's going to be other ones in the, in this vast expanse of the whole universe, right? Right. There's got to be other ones. And so there is in fact, at least one other one here, there could actually be a whole bunch here. Like maybe it's like men in black movie, right? Where there's just like, there's all sorts of other collective subconsciousnesses here, right? But I know that there's definitely at least one other one, right? And the thing is, they're not like, yeah, you could call it alien, right? Because it is like a non-Earth-based collective subconscious. 
but the way it works is they don't like show up in spaceships and like you know bombard you from orbit with like alien nukes and crap like that that's not the way that it works right the way that it works is through the collective subconscious through reincarnation so these um what seem to be non-earth-based collective subconsciousnesses they come here but the way they come in is through earth-based genetics through incarnation right so we have a soul right we have our own souls we're incarnated into our body right and uh we assume that we're humans but these other ones are here or this at least this other one is here and they are also somehow figured out how to incarnate into human bodies and they're pretending to be human but they're running an alternative agenda to do something to enslave us and it's really hard for us to see because we think that we're just dealing with other humans oh that's just another human idea to remove carbon dioxide and block out the sun that's just something another human is thinking and but it's like no that's actually what a hostile alien collective subconscious is doing and wants to do to us to take over this planet and i can tell you how i arrived at that how i arrived at that I basically, I, I've had, you know, when I when I look at it, when I step back and look at my life and what I went through discovering this, it's like the most amazing. Like, are you familiar? Have you watched Star Trek, for example? A bunch oh, of sci-fi. Only, sci -fi. only yeah. the original. Only the original, yeah. So you're familiar with the idea of a paradox, like how, how in science fiction you always have a paradox, right? And it's like, you got to solve this paradox with outside-the-box thinking because it's like, you know, it's not something you can, it's that, that idea of a paradigm, right? You can't solve this paradox with your existing mode of thinking. You have to go outside the box, right? Um, so I, I kind of lived through that experience. I discovered a, a paradox in the, you know, I'll just use a phrase from Star Trek. I discovered a paradox in the space-time continuum, but it's not like it's not like you get from the TVs, from the, from the movies, where it's like some purple, weird-looking, shimmery rift over there. We're, we're talking about how it actually works in reality. How it works in reality is with our mind, right? Like because you can't actually have a paradox in physical reality, because in, in reality that would destroy reality. So, right? So, if you're gonna find a paradox in the space-time continuum, you have to find it in mind, in, in the noetic sphere, in, in the noetic sphere of mental activity. And that was what I found. I found a paradox in the space-time continuum with how they're doing climate science and how these people are behaving. And this goes to your question, are these people serious or are they lying or are they stupid, right? That was the that was a big, huge question. Here, I'll share my screen now to start. Did you find this paradox through like math or did you find it through observation? I found it through its... It's, uh, yeah, through observation, through interacting on this climate change issue for many, many years okay. and, through try and through trying to have a discussion about, about the fundamentals, about doing the due diligence, going to the basis. Where does it come from? Where does a climate change debate come from? Oh, it comes from the greenhouse effect. Well, where does a greenhouse effect come from? It comes from this way of deriving it. That's where it comes from. So that's what I was going to show you. Want me to pull that up? Yes, please. Okay. All right. In so, this, in your inquiries, and I'm sorry to keep bombarding you. I know we okay. only have an hour and I want, like, I have so many questions. Have you yeah. tied this to Club of Rome and that entity? Uh, it could be, it could be them. It could be, you know, Davos is meeting right now and they're making a big deal about, you know, and there's this one crazy lady seeing that we got to stop farming. Farming is so bad for oh. the environment. Yeah. So <laughs> like, like, yeah, these people, they want to wipe us out, right? They want to, they want to kill us all, you know, and, and people, you know, people might make this mistake of saying, oh, they're a globalist elitist and they want to reduce the population. No, no, no. When they're talking about blocking out the sun, and removing see one of the schemes and i have this in my videos on my own youtube channel which is a climate of sophistry and also in my book um one of their schemes that they're coming up with to remove carbon dioxide is to genetically engineer a new life form a new bacteria that lives off of carbon dioxide now we just went through this, through this pandemic right which was apparently a lab leak right and what happens when a, when a when a when a when a, a, a cellular right life form escapes a lab well it replicates exponentially and you can't freaking stop it because it's like microscopic you can't see it it just freaking grows so what happens if they have a designer life form bacteria that eats carbon dioxide out of the air and this thing escapes a lab what's going to happen it's going to exponentially don't plants and trees do this plants and trees absorb a little yeah they absorb a little bit to create life right yeah so this is going to be a designer life form though that will just eat it all out of the air, suck it all out of the air because they want to get rid of carbon dioxide, right? Like at a bacteria level. Got so it. it'll just suck, really suck it all up. 
<laughs> yeah, br brilliant idea, right? So when we're talking about things like that and blocking out the sun, this isn't about population reduction. This is about population ending and not just human population, life ending. This is life on earth ending. And do you about. know how that serves whatever this species is? Yeah, I've talked. Yeah. So in my book, Planet Wars, I mean, I've, I, I get into that discussion. And so, I mean, when you start dealing and researching the collective subconsciousness aspects, you get exposed to a lot of stuff that's just not in the mainstream science, right? Occultism, magic ideas, things like that, uh, channeling, um, you know, automatic writing. Uh, things like that, you know, communing, communing. I've had a few moments where I communed with, for example, a butterfly once. I, we just had a conversation. It was, I was totally, I was just in my backyard working, not on drugs. I don't take drugs, anything like that. It just flew up to me and wanted to have a conversation because I'd been observing it all summer and it wanted me to tell, wanted to tell me about itself, basically. It was really cool. So that was that. But um, the really important stuff I put in my book about what this, um, this other collective consciousness, subconsciousness is, is doing here and what it wants to, wants to do to Earth. Basically, so here, I'll share this uh, thing to start right here. So you see that? I see, yes, the foundation of climate science. Yeah, so foundation of climate science. So here's a bunch of diagrams, and this is taught in university. When I was in second year of physics, I was taught the same diagram, and I never really thought anything of it. It's just, okay, the way you do it. Um, do you see anything? So all these diagrams are showing the Earth, right? Yep. So do you see anything about the way that they're showing that the Earth looks? like? No. Okay, so so these uh, surfaces here, see where it says atmospheric layers? Atmospheric layer layers. Yeah, and, and then here's Earth, and here's Earth. See how it says Earth, Earth, Earth? Yes. What are these? What are these shapes that they're using for the Earth? Straight lines. Straight lines, which means what? Which means flat, flat right? Flat Earth. Yeah, so this is supposed to be the whole Earth, though, right? This isn't just a small section of the Earth. This is supposed to represent the whole Earth, because that's what the math is for. The math is for, like, the whole Earth, right? Okay. And, yeah, and so it's like, so that's, so that's, those are flat lines, which means flat Earth. So they're basically working out math for a flat Earth, right? Okay. Now you might think, okay, well, whatever. It's just fine, isn't it? Well, well, is it fine? I mean, let's put this in terms of logic. What if you have, if you have like some other argument, let's put it somewhere else, and you just have flawed initial premises. Mm -hmm. If you have flawed initial premises, then what happens to your conclusions after you it's work those premises flawed. out? Are these yeah. like shorthand geometric representations or are these to be taken literally? These are to be taken literally because yeah. they work out the math for how this would have to work literally. See, like the, all these arrows and these equations here, right? Got it. So the math only works if we're talking about a flat plane. That's right. Yeah, it's math it. derived for a flat plane. So it's basically working out the math for if the whole Earth surface was a flat plane. Got it. Right now, if you're not a philosopher, and most scientists aren't philosophers, and they don't care about philosophy, right? And you just yeah. and most you know most scientists do math all day, so you just work out the math. You go, well, that's the way we do it, right? Yes. That's the pair. So so this establishes the paradigm. And like I said, Roy Spencer, who is a, an actual a, actually a skeptic, and I don't get along with him either because he's one of these um, you know quote unquote aliens. Um, he says, can you, tell, and they, can you tell when you're engaging these beings that yeah, they're I can not? Tell yeah, I can tell by the way that they speak. They're full of shit. That, that's why. <laughs> because they're so full of shit in such an obvious and ridiculous way. And I'll, I'll show you an example okay. in, in, a, in a moment here. So, um, yeah, so what was I saying? So just initial premises, it's being worked out for if the whole Earth was a flat plane, right? So, right. yeah, and so you might think if you're not a philosopher and scientists don't care about philosophy and, 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 and you know, scientists just do a lot of math. And so you think, well, what's wrong with this, right? Well, go go to philosophy and ask that question. If you start with flawed initial premises, what happens to everything you extrapolate from those premises? They contain the flaw, right? And right. they just get worked out in a different way, right? Yes. So, so I just said, you know what? Instead of doing this, so this flat Earth theory worked out into math. That's the origin of where the greenhouse effect comes from. I'll explain this in a future slide that I have in just a second. But what happens to the math, right? Because you start with this premise of a flat Earth. What happens with the math is that you have to make the sun, this is just a consequence of the way the math gets worked out, you have to take the sunlight, which is only over a hemisphere, but now you spread it over the whole earth. So you dilute it and you make it weaker. And now the sunshine mm -hmm. is only able to heat the earth to minus 18 degrees Celsius. 
So that's the initial premise of these models and of climate science is that the sun can only heat the earth to minus 18 degrees Celsius. And then, the, so then, so then you keep working that out and you say, okay, well, if the sun can't create the climate, so, you know, sunshine, that's only minus 18 degrees Celsius worth of heating that can't do F all right. That can't melt or uh, melt ice that can't evaporate water, create clouds, can't create the Hadley cell around the equator. Right. So what creates the heat then what creates the temperature? So they postulate, that the greenhouse effect does. They come up with this idea of a greenhouse effect, which is not the same thing as how a real greenhouse, they just call it that, right? It's not a real greenhouse. Real greenhouse works by a different method. Anyway, so they come up with these lines and arrows and say, so that's what does it. It's the greenhouse that makes it warmer than minus 18 degrees Celsius. Oh, and look, humans are making that greenhouse effect stronger. And so humans are really evil and we need to remove the carbon dioxide, right? So that's how that chain works. Right. Yeah. So I said, I said, you know what, I don't think it's a good way to start understanding the climate by saying that the sun can't create it. And I said, I'm pretty sure that error is coming because you're representing the whole earth as a flat plane. So I said, here, let's do it like this. There, you see this? Yes. Okay. So I said, let's just draw the earth as a sphere, as a, as a round sphere, because it really is, right? And let's yeah. have the sunshine falling on only a hemisphere, which we call the day, day side, right? Because that's really what happens, right? Well, hold up. Let me ask you a question. How yeah. do you know that the Earth is a sphere? Well, I'm assuming that it is. I'm going to assume that it is, and I'm going to assume that that science is right. Um, you know, the Greeks had solved that problem uh, in uh, the ancient Greeks, or it was ancient or classical. Anyway, 2,500 years ago, uh, thereabouts, right? Had solved that problem, right? Okay. So, so yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go with uh, flat Earth theory. I think there's enough evidence and theory behind you know the earth being round so i'm gonna go with that right yeah i mean it's a good point because in fact if flat earth theorists you know if those people want scientific support they have all the scientific support they need from climate science because climate science is founded on those diagrams which have they could the, earth. the same faulty science to prove their theory they could use that and say look this is in you know, and that's peer-reviewed climate science, and that's pedagogical, meaning in university teaching climate science, it's it's there. So they would just have to say, oh, wait, the scientists are already kind of admitting. They could use it in a cynical way to support flat earth theory if they wanted, right? They right. could use the foundation of climate science for sure. So I said, let's, you know, I'm an astrophysicist. So obviously I believe that the earth is a, <laughs> you know, I go along with the earth being a sphere, right? So I said, let's actually draw the earth as a is, sphere. Is, is that part of astrophysics, like that sort of unquestioned foundation that the earth is a sphere? I would say it's pretty well accepted. Yeah, because, you know, yeah, in, in astrophysics, we would accept that for, yeah, of course, for sure. Yeah, we wouldn't question that in, in any way. Yeah. But isn't yeah. the point of science to question everything? Yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, people have questioned that. And I think that the evidence just falls on the Earth being a sphere. There's just so many, so many factors, right? For example, launching satellites, right? We launch satellites with the equations that would require the Earth to physically be a sphere. If the Earth wasn't physically a sphere, but we're using the equations, which assume it's a sphere, you wouldn't be able to get things into orbit, for example. They would crash somewhere else okay. down, the, down the line. You know what I mean? So, sure. so it, it seems seems to work, right? Okay. <laughs> okay, so I said, let's go with the Earth being a sphere. Let's draw sunlight going in. And so look what happens instead when you do that. So on that other diagram, they had the Earth, and I'll, I'll show you the comparison here. You know what? I'll just switch to the comparison right away since I'm gonna be doing a lot of comparing. I'll share that one, which is right here. What is the definition of astrophysics? It's like the study of stars, anything in space, basically, like stars, galaxies, suns, um, other planets, um, the behavior properties of space, um, galaxies, which are like collections of 100 billion stars, um, you know, things like that. Okay. Yeah. So do you have this uh, new I slide do. up now? Yes. Okay. All right. So there you see my model there and then the, uh, the way that it's done in peer-reviewed climate science, right? So in my model... When you're, and I don't like to call it my model because I, it's not mine. I didn't invent that the Earth is a sphere. I'm just showing how the math works when the Earth is a sphere. And when you do that, the power of the sun is 121 degrees Celsius instead of the minus 18 degrees Celsius that the flat Earth approach uses, right? Now, okay. that's a big difference, right? If you have yeah. sunshine, yeah, if you have sunshine, that's 121 degrees Celsius worth of heating at the Earth. And that's actually confirmed on the moon because the moon, we know in the day side, does get that hot. You know, and this, you know, calculation just comes from basic astrophysics as well, right? So the strength of solar heating at the Earth is 121 degrees Celsius. That's really freaking hot. 
right? That's over the boiling point yes. of water. So that's enough heating to drive evaporation, to melt ice. That's enough heating to like create the climate, right? Yes. So compare that. And so that's using a sphere. So this is paradigm. This is, this is the idea of comparing one paradigm versus the other, right? So this is sphere earth paradigm. Now you go to flat earth paradigm of climate science and you have that the sun is, I mean, if you work out these values, the sun is only minus 18 degrees Celsius worth of heating, mm -hmm. right? So that's a pretty big difference, right? To think well, of the sun. Hold on. Is it possible yeah. since the climate science is dependent upon a flat earth plane, like how much legitimacy are we giving to any of their science? Well, that's the thing. None, none of it is legitimate. The whole field, because as Roy Spencer says, these flat earth diagrams are the foundation of all climate science. They are, this is where climate science has this new field that has only existed for a couple decades starts. And this is how all the peer review. So I had submitted this actually to peer review and I, I recount the results. And that's part of the, uh, the, the, the uh, paradox in the space-time continuum that I encountered, right? And realized I needed to solve that was the responses I get from other people. So for example, yeah, so I went through that comparison, right? Pretty basic thing. Should we think of the sun as being 121 degrees Celsius worth of heating, which it actually is, which you can actually measure. And that's what it is. You can go outside in the summertime. You can feel that the sun is really hot. It's not minus 18 degrees Celsius only. It's way hotter than that when you go in the sunlight, right? Or should we, you know, use this minus 18 degrees Celsius sun? So I wrote a paper you know, and I'm, I'm an astrophysicist. I've written tons of papers in the highest rated astrophysics journals in the world. I've solved mathematical algorithms for, um, you know, in a completely unique ways in, for problems in astrophysics, right? So anyway, I, I'm, I'm an accomplished astrophysicist. I was, I lost my job over, simply over, over this, over saying, maybe we should do a sphere earth instead of a flat earth for the beginning of climate science. I lost my job for that because look at what they say. So this is a, uh, Wait, on what grounds? Be that I was just being too disruptive, that I was um, harassing, that I was harassing. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So look at, so this ED, so this stands for uh, a, a guy that I actually uh, worked with at my old university, Eric, Eric Donovan, he's a, a PhD in mm -hmm. astrophysics in astrophysics so this goes to the, the the part about the rupture in the space-time continuum so look at what he said to me this is an email i can show you the email he said joe you you know when i'm just trying to explain to him like don't you think it's better since you know we think that the earth is a sphere and we know that sunshine is hot isn't it better to start climate science with a sphere earth with sunshine being hot and sunshine creates the climate rather than a flat earth where the sun can't create the climate and he says joe you are dangerous and ill-informed words cannot communicate my disrespect for your position regarding sphere earth so think of me hearing that in physics like that's like boom that's like what the shit what kind of on? scientist is ed he's a he's a a, a a a physicist uh he studies the aurora and he's offended yeah by the suggestion that the earth is spherical yeah by my saying that that would be a better way to do climate science to start off climate science right I okay. impossible so this is what I write in, in one of my later books, Illuminism, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's called, I write, uh, you know, have you ever encountered something impossible? Most people haven't actually encountered something impossible, right? For me, this is impossible. This is me encountering a rupture in the space-time continuum. It's because it's impossible that I should have. So here's another response. Uh, this is Roy Spencer. Roy Spencer just straight up said to me, no, Joe, the sunlight intercepted by, by the earth does get spread over the full sphere of the earth. That's basic geometry. I'm like, what um isn't there a day side and a night side and he's like yeah but that doesn't matter the sunlight gets spread over the full sphere of the earth i'm like you're saying things that aren't compatible from one sentence to the next roy that doesn't make sense and he's like well that's the base of all climate science and no one in climate science denies this this is the start for the whole field and he's like you're crazy to and i'm just like these are impossible things so another so here's a real good one this is uh ss i forget scott simmons i think or something some other scientist from some other place so look at what he says. He says his, referring to me, Joe's spherical earth theory fits every definition of a crank theory. It's obviously absurd, violates known laws of physics, and is propped up by Postma's ego rather than evidence. These are impossible things. So, so, so those are just colloquial. In my book, Planet Wars, I, like I said, I wrote a paper just making this comparison, a totally scientific paper. I didn't bring in politics, didn't bring any bullshit. It's, it's like straight up 
a dry read scientific paper, just like showing the math, how it works, showing the difference between a sphere and a plane and being like, you know, sphere means the sun is 121 degrees Celsius. Plane means the sun is minus 18 degrees Celsius. That's a, that's a scientific difference. Isn't there a difference between those two numbers of, of heat, right? There is. So why not think about it? So I submitted it to 14 different journals and I got those, I got those type of responses that I'm showing here, similar responses, but I've documented them in, in that book, Planet Wars. You can read them and it's shocking because they literally ask me, they're like, what evidence do you have that it makes a difference? And I'm like, well, that's what the paper shows. And they're like, they're like, this needs to be vetted by experts. And I'm like, well, I'm submitting it to a peer review physics journal. You're supposed to be the experts that can vet whether or not there's a difference between sphere earth and flat earth. And they're like, well, we can't do it. Um, like just impossible responses that are like ruptures in the noetic space-time continuum, in the noetic continuum. They're, they're ruptures in the noetic mental substrate continuum. And that's why I had that question for years. Are these people just, can I swear? Of course. Are these people just fucking stupid or are they malicious? And if they're malicious, what the hell is their goal? Because because the goal isn't, you know, because, you know, we hear about Georgia Guidestones, oh, they want 500. This is not that. What these people are doing is not that. These people are going way freaking beyond that. Maybe they're using that to hide behind. But what these people are doing with the, with what they want to do with solar radiation management is the nice technical scientific name they call it, which just means blotting out the sun with an umbrella, right? And removing carbon dioxide with a de designer life form that just sucks it all out of the air. I mean, that's going to freaking kill everything, right? Kill everything. Do, so, do these climate scientists acknowledge that they also believe that the Earth is flat? No, you know what? No, I get that's part. Yeah, I don't have that quoted here, but that's I could pull it up somewhere. Um, this one doesn't come in my book because, you know, I've been continuing after. But no, I have it quoted. I won't pull it up, but just take my word for it. I can pull it up if you want. I have it saved somewhere. No, I get them saying, Joe. That is a sphere. Like when they're, when I'm pointing out, when I'm making this comparison and they're saying, no, Joe, the pedagogical traditional way of doing it, that is for a sphere. I'm like, um, that, that looks like a flat line though. And look, I've drawn a sphere. And they're like, no, no, your sphere is stupid. That makes no, no, why would you do it that way? They're like, no, no, what we're doing is for a sphere. They're like, this is for a sphere. I'm like, but that's a flat line, isn't it? And they're like, yeah, but it's for a sphere. I'm like, you mean it's a sphere turned into a flat plane? And they're like, yeah, that's what makes it a sphere. I'm like, you can't say that's a sphere because you've turned the sphere into a flat plane. I'm like, here, I've drawn an actual sphere. I've drawn an actual sphere. It actually has day and it actually has night like the earth actually has. And they're like, no, that's stupid. That's Joe, that, that's totally wrong. What we're doing is for a sphere. Like, like it's impossible. And this goes on forever. That's the thing. It can just go on forever. And so right. because it goes on forever, you got to figure out what the hell's going on. And so that's where I had to solve that problem. Are these people malicious or are they just stupid? But the thing is, you can't be that stupid. You, right. It's impossible to be that stupid, especially when they're so sophisticated, uh, otherwise talking about science, right? They can't actually be that stupid. And so that was where I, luckily, as part of this whole life stream, I was also being exposed to, um, you know, this whole esoteric world, you know, the Jungian ideas of the collective, collective subconscious and stuff. So anyway, um, I did have some help and eventually made that realization that I'm, I'm speaking with um, another collective uh, subconsciousness, which appears to be human. They're wearing human suits, but they're not actually from here. And they have an ulterior agenda mm -hmm. and they're using this to take over politics. You know, the, as you know, this has taken over politics, climate science, right? It's taken over science itself, right? It's taken over our whole world basically. And so the thing is, where are they going with it? What do they want to do with it? And so, like I said to you a little while ago, I had a conversation with a butterfly. Well, if you go into that world, there's a lot of people you can find out there. You know, have you ever heard of astral traveling out of body experience? You can train your body to do that. You can train your mind to leave your body while you're sleeping and you can go and explore the different levels of existence, different frequencies, different domains, different realms of existence, right? You do that? I don't do that regularly. Um, I'm not proficient at it, uh, but I know a lot of people and I've had um, help. I didn't need to do that. I didn't need to do that to solve this problem. I solved this problem through just through channeling. Um, so the way that the collective subconscious works is 
that was another part of, of what I discovered in, in, in my first book was um, what I, I mean, my first book is titled uh, In the Cold Light of Day um, and a Numerical Proof for God, but it's not God like the Christian God or, or how people would normally think of it. Um, I, I basically discovered actually through Wait, this then research. What is, then what is it? Yeah, you want me to tell you? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. So this goes into metaphysics and explaining what existence is, is made out of, right? Um, so as part of this problem, doing the research on how the heat would have to work, because I wanted to figure out what they're actually doing and why they think that it works. So I was just fiddling with some equations for how heat flow would work uh, for their flat Earth model, and I just found some scenarios where the equations were like doing something, and you have to use a special type of equations called a it's it's related to this thing called the Fourier transform, which trans transforms frequency information into space time information, right? Yep. And um, and so I'd been doing some reading at the same time, talking about how that's actually how the spirit world, uh, the non-corporeal physical world, and our physical world are related is through the mathematics of the Fourier transform. Because you know we've always heard how many times have you heard that expression that the spiritual world is made of frequencies and waves, right? but yep. we live in the solid world. So you can actually, that's what this math of the Fourier transform actually lets you do. It actually lets you translate. People have just not recognized that because it's so deeply esoteric, right? This isn't part of science. They would never talk about something like this, right? But mathematically, if you want an explanation for what is the relation and how does the spirit world connect to the physical world, it's through that math of the Fourier transform, which transforms frequency and wave information, uh, which is non-local into local uh, space-time structures. So anyway, I was doing this research into this heat flow, which has some dependence on those equations. And I found that the equations had to do something weird. They had to modify themselves in order to um, explain how uh, the physics would work, right? Mm -hmm. And so think of, so think of, um, why are scientists atheists? Why, why do sci most scientists not believe in God? They don't because there's no sign of them, right? Like, honestly, if you're just looking at the material world, you don't see much sign. We have basic equations of physics, like if, if you have Newton's law, for example, force equals mass times acceleration. That's just a static equation. It doesn't indicate life in it. What do you expect of life? What do you expect of mind, especially if there's mind or a God running things? Well, you would expect autonomous changes, right? In the, physics, in the physics equations, right? But the thing is, if you have an equation like force equals mass times acceleration, there's no room for change in that. That's the way it's got to be. It can't change. It's just a static fixed equation. But the thing is, when you look at it with the Fourier transform describing heat flow, now you're talking about the type of math that relates the spirit world to the physical world. So I found some changes happening in that equation which indicates that those equations have to be self-aware but okay. if those equations are self-aware that means that it's not just those equations it's all those relevant types of equations for the Fourier transform and what you're actually looking at is the mind of quote-unquote god running reality behind the scenes right so this god is not actually god in the way we think of it it's a it's a computer program, a very, very vast, big, giant computer program, which runs the substrate of our physical reality and basically manages the laws of physics, right? So okay. a lot of people, a lot of people would have called this thing God, but it's not actually God because it's actually a created entity. So the question is, who created this entity to create this universe to manage the laws of physics? And who, so you, who did that? <laughs> so now, so now you step back to the ultimate ultimate collective subconsciousness, which is one, which is just called one. It is like the universal cosmic collective subconsciousness. But what is it composed of? It's composed of what the um, philosopher Leibniz, Gottfried Leibniz identified. It's actually composed of basically an infinite number of points, of constituents, of nodes, which mm -hmm. he called monads, but they're actually souls. That's what we actually all are. You have a soul. I have a soul. Most of us have souls. Not all humans actually have souls. Part of what this alien collective subconsciousness is doing here, it's it actually, it's very advanced. They're millions of years more advanced and they can actually incarnate AIs to look like humans. They're just AI programs running a body to create the appearance of a human. Um, so yeah, so anyway, at that at that level of, of one, of the total universal cosmic collective consciousness, subconsciousness, that's composed of an infinite number of nodes called monads, which are souls which are, which actually have 
the power they they are gods in other words like you can call them souls but they're immortal and they're uncreated and they've existed forever so they've existed forever they were never created they are they are the fundamental units of of existence um in my book illuminism i explain i explain how this comes about and just explain it in a basic way that anyone can basically understand it in my book illuminism um um joseph real quick are we still using this slide that's on the screen yeah, I can come back to this um, or I could turn it off maybe now. Yeah, we'll we're going to come back to it. That's fine. We're, I'm curious to know because you've discovered God through science. You're talking to butterflies. You've honed yeah. in on these non-human um, entities here. Were you always a weirdo who was able to think <laughs> this far outside the box? Or did you come to that when you honed in on the sham that is climate science or something else? No, it certainly developed over my life. I would think I, I, I would I would say that I was always a bit um, reclusive, a, you know, a bit of an introvert. I would say that's my only advantage is that you know I'm a bit introverted. INTJ, I do enjoy thinking, and I'm a bit introverted. But um, I'm the same. yeah, my brother. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I know. I could I could sense that automatically. That's why I was like in our in our emails. I was really enjoying flirting with you because I was like this girl has has got it all. She's uh, she's she's right. Yeah, I could sense that from you right away. Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. I think it was just many years of study. Luckily, I came into a uh, a bunch of material esoteric writing um that really really took that that path off for me. Without that, none of this would have developed. I really what required. Was that writing? So there was a, a group called the Pythagoreans okay. who, who appeared about 13 years ago online. And uh, they were they said that they were uh, the modern uh, a group of Pythagoras. So Pythagoras was a, a mathematician in Greece, right? But he was also a, you know, a spiritual adept. And he went and traveled into India and to Egypt. And, you know, he was quite the spiritual guru, like a wanderer type type guy who was, you know, a partially ascended being of some sort, right? And so he founded this school in in Greece. Uh, you know, ba- people would call it people would call it a cult today, but you know, it was it was a religion based on math, based on, you know, math must be the answer of what existence is made of. Math must be what the mind of God works through to create reality, right? And so um, these people were said, yeah, we're actually still around. Uh, we just had to hide because when you heard about witch burnings, when you heard about the Cathars being killed and brutally burned at the stake and, and tortured to death, to they're like only like two of them survived, and you know, and uh, that was us. They're like that, that was us trying to bring a different view, trying to fight against the Abrahamic powers who are you know taking over the world and with their insane freaking religion of just you know the with with the well just the three branches of abrahamism right um they're like we are the counter to that but that group has the power and uh yeah they basically we had to go into hiding and did they go inside the earth where did they go into hiding i no, i just i I think it just means they're just in hiding in society right they're they're just not they're just not public right they have secret meetings and you know secret societies i guess uh, but they're embodied and incarnate now yeah, well, those people, yeah, they, so those people have taken all that research. They're, they're adept. They're, they're basically ascended beings. So they're, they're astral travelers. They have that power. They're totally aware of what the true spiritual world is, is like and how you can access it. And they also connect to the Arthurian romances and the stories of the Holy Grail and about solving that problem and what the Holy Grail means. You know, it means connection with, you know, because we have a consciousness, but inside us, what created us is actually our, our monad, our base monad, which I was just talking about, which is this uncreated, indestructible, eternal entity, which is actually inside us. And you make contact with that. That is your God within. And it has the full power of a God because it is a, an original entity that is uncreated. It's self-existent and always been existed. So when you make contact with that, that's what the stories of the Holy Grail are about and what all our stories about ascension and making contact with the Christ within. You make contact with that. Yeah, you're you're like... You're like a spirit. Yeah, you're just you. You become a god, basically, right? You say there are humans without souls, right? Without monads, are these clones? Uh, so that relates to this other group that seems to be here. 
so they have they apparently they have a name is what i got um just from channeling uh they're called zetas um you know channeling you always have to take it with a grain of salt but the thing is i have a lot and of evidence are you doing the channeling or you're reading other people's channelings no, me 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 with a friend i made a, a really good friend and we were very close and we uh we worked on this uh this issue uh together i she had that ability and i had the scientific and philosophical understanding to be able to work out um just to be able to work with her because most channelers are very spiritual people typically they're, they're women very few men can do it um just because it requires an impression it requires allowing allowing a, an energy to impress upon you and as a male it's just hard to do that because it's partially feels not that it feels homosexual but it's just like you got to give yourself up that way you know what i mean yeah. for a woman it's obviously automatic because that is the sexual life of a woman you have to do that basically right um yes. so for a man it's just a bit hard but anyway that explains why most women do it um so the thing is most people who do that are quite spiritual quite emotional people and they don't have any scientific education or math education whatsoever so when they channel they just get like oh love and light and peace and everything feels so good and everything will work out in the end right so what was unique about this person that i met is that she was really interested in understanding how it works on a philosophical philosophical scientific and mathematical basis and so i we you know synchronicity of the universe put us together uh, to work on that problem because i had all of the all of that knowledge you know as as the male left brain right but I couldn't do the channeling fully. I could partially do a little bit, but not to the extent that I need to. She could do it full blown. So we we're able to unite that way and combine our two talents that way to, to get the, to actually have a scientific mathematical discussion, discussions with uh, these, uh, these collective subconscious realms. Well, that does it for the bulk of my conversation with Joseph Postmas. We finished up the conversation um, over on my Patreon and Locals channels because uh, we did go over. So as you are curious about the last part of our conversation, I encourage you to find it on dannycats.locals.com or patreon.com slash Danny Katz. If you're interested to learn more about me and my work, definitely find me on dannycats.com, which will link you to my quantum languaging site where you can learn about my coaching, my consulting, where you can learn about my courses, my webinars, my pop propaganda digital course for teens, uh, which is also great for grownups. Um, it'll also link you to my books and my Instagram and all of those fun things. I'm also encouraging you to sign up for my newsletter at dannycats.com. It's the best way to ensure that we get to stay in touch without any of the big tech censorship shenanigans. All right, that does it. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for remembering that every word matters, that you are omniscopic amazingness. Have a rockin' day. And for... <laughs> Clicking that subscribe button for liking, for sharing, for commenting, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As you are receiving any value from my podcast, as you dig it, as you listen regularly, consider supporting me on Patreon and or Locals, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of my second half podcast interviews as well as oodles of bonus content. Your support really goes a long way in supporting me as a journalist and an independent content creator navigate her way through a really crunchy time in terms of free speech. And as you are wanting to learn more about my work in the world, my books, my products, my quantum languaging, coaching, and consulting, you can find me at dannycats.com as well as quantumlanguaging.com. And if you're not down with a membership patronage platform and want to send me one-time donation, you can use the Bitcoin link if it actually appears on your podcast listening platform. You could also send me a one-time donation by way of PayPal at dannycats at pm.me or by way of Venmo, where my username is Sadie Bloom. Again, your support means the world and makes a massive, massive difference when it comes to continuing to share this work 
with the world. Thank you for sharing your sacred attention with me. Thank you for remembering that you are omniscopic amazingness and for having a rockin' day. See you next time, superstars.